My name is Maggie Reekman, and welcome to American Bittersweet, a podcast series about the National Willa Cather Center in Red Cloud, Nebraska, and the people here who keep the legacy of the 20th century American writer alive. Like Cather, the organization is complex in a way that cannot be contained within one genre, one environment, or one podcast episode alone. The featured interviews between myself and various employees are meant to highlight how the educational mission of the foundation is bolstered by each individual in their collaborative efforts, values, and perspectives. And today I'm talking with Ashley, the executive director of the National Cather Center. I joined her in her office and I'm very grateful because you are a very busy woman. (laughs) Most weeks, yes. Yeah. And um, I guess we can get right into it with the questions. So how long have you been the executive director at the National Willa Cather Center? Uh, I became executive director in 2014. So what is that, about seven years now? Wow. At one dog year, right? One yeah. dog year. <laughs> it feels like a dog year, boy. <laughs> so has your position always been the same as executive director, or were you involved in some other way before becoming that role? I was involved uh, as director of finance and later associate executive director before I took the executive director position. So I had a good sort of grasp on, uh, of course, the the breadth and scope of the organization's work and uh, the mission and the vision for the future. So it was good to have that organizational background and kind of be tuned in to the culture that existed uh, when I got started as EB. Okay. So how long had you been working here before taking on that position? Can you explain to me the sort of detailed trajectory of your career here? Yeah, I started here uh, out of college, actually. Moved back to Red Cloud to follow uh, my, my husband, currently, <laughs> who was uh, my fiancé, almost at the time. So not to interrupt, but to interrupt. Did you meet your husband when you were there, and then he was also happened to be like a Red Cloud native? We uh, we have known each other since we went to daycare together as Oh, kids. my God. <laughs> I yeah. love love stories. So, uh, but really didn't have a lot to do with each other going through school. He's okay. three years older than I am. And uh, we, of course, knew each other because it's a small school and, and it's a small town. And okay. everyone kind of knows everyone here. So, gotcha. yeah. Because that would have been such a coincidence if you hadn't for some reason, known each other, grew up at the same town, but then met at the College of Business, or um, were you at the College of Business at UNL, right? I was at the College of Business at UNL, yes, and uh, Tyler was actually living back here, well, actually, he was living in Hastings at the time, and so we agreed, essentially, when I graduated, that rather than having two of us on the job market, I would first try to find something that brought me closer to home and closer to where he was. And if that didn't work out, we would try plan B. And there was a board member at the time who uh, was a friend of our family and had let me know that the foundation was looking for an accountant. Okay. And so I actually came in to interview with the executive director at the time, Betty Port. Okay. During, I think it was Christmas break, my last year of college. Wow. And got started uh, as an intern that semester to learn the ropes a little bit and started full-time after graduation. Wow, that's amazing. I had no idea that you were involved with it for so long. 
Yeah, well, it helped to to get started early, and I was certainly less stressed my last semester of college, knowing that I was going to be gainfully employed yeah. when I got my degree, so yeah. it worked out. And you kind of climbed the catheter ladder, not to put it in, like, the capitalist sort of, yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of catchy. Um, that's really cool, and when you were growing up around here, did you have a general understanding of the National Blood Catheter Center or at, before it was like the foundation, right? Yeah, well, the organization was much different then, of course. I can remember a couple of instances growing up, probably one at the grade school level and another at the high school level where we engaged with foundation programs. I remember coming as a elementary school student to visit the childhood home and I think there was a program back then that was, I hope I'm getting this right, I think it was called Pastimes and Playthings. Hmm. And we, I remember we toured the childhood home, I think. I think a tour was part of it. But the main thing, uh, if I remember right, involved some, like some old-fashioned games in the yard of the childhood home. Oh. And I can't remember if it was just students from Red Cloud schools or there, if there were students from other schools who were involved, but... I remember that uh, experience sort of vividly. Details are <laughs> obviously escaping me. Um, and then, yeah, in high school, we, of course, we were assigned to read one Cather book, I think my junior year okay. um, in English class, and then took, took an extended tour of the Cather sites here in town. So I had a pretty good grasp, I think, for, or, you know, probably – probably had as much grasp on things as your average Red Cloud student would have had mm -hmm. at the time. And you'd mentioned that the foundation has changed quite a bit from when you were growing up around it versus working within it and, you know, changing roles within it. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, well, uh, we, of course, uh, finished construction on the National Willa Cather Center which added about 20,000 foot of museum and archive wow. and exhibit space, as well as an expanded bookstore and green, green room space for our opera house next door. That project was finished in late 2016, and the building was dedicated in the spring of 2017. I miss Laura Bush, right? <laughs> you miss Laura Bush. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, how was meeting her and having that whole hullabaloo of the, is that what it's called? Hullabaloo. 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 Yeah. yeah, of that spring conference. It was great. I, um, she's a very gracious and warm person, oh. as you probably would imagine, and uh, a big fan of Cather, so it was just, it was a little bit surreal to walk around on the prairie with Laura Bush, and mm -hmm. all to be in the childhood home with her, and, and then, uh, you know, half an hour later to be taking the stage at the Opera House and having the dedication ceremony for the Cather Center, it, it was sort of an out-of-body experience, and I remember waking up the next day and thinking, like, that's the highlight of my career. How am I ever going to do something that cool again? Like, there's nothing to look forward to now. Oh, but, of no. course, I think there's a lot of amazing things that, uh, a lot of amazing experiences we've had here since and a lot to look forward to in the future. So, yeah. but, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty cool day. Yeah, I know you've got lots of irons in the fire with um, working in the community fund as well. And um, 
I wonder, like, growing up in Red Cloud, if you ever envisioned coming back here and doing all this amazing forward work with the National Willow Catherine Center. It was just a complete surprise. I absolutely did not envision <laughs> that. I thought I would be something like an insurance agent or a banker <laughs> or a real estate agent. So, yeah, this is... This has really been wonderful. I did the practical thing when I went to college, and I was a business major. I was really good at analytical things in high school and, and math and accounting and algebra. And so everyone just sort of pushed me toward business and said it was the practical thing to do. And I don't regret that. That was a great experience, and I, it gave me a lot of tools that I needed to do the work that I do here. Yeah. But I was always really interested in history and literature growing up. And I don't think that those interests were cultivated as much as they could have been. So it's been great to be in this position and be able to, to feed the desire in my soul to have those sort of enriching um, experiences and opportunities. From what I've learned talking to the various people who work here, you know, from Laura Leah, who does a lot of behind-the-scenes work like you do with marketing, and Catherine, who does the marketing through social media. This is very much um, just a perfect meeting point, I think, of the humanities and that sort of more business aspect. And I imagine that um, it's a great combination to work in, especially if you have both of those interests. Yeah, it's been great. And, yeah, I kind of wonder about um, the spring conference and organizing those huge things, such as um, the you know, Laura Bush dedication and also uh, booking people like Radhika Jones that we had at the spring conference. And I know it takes um, like a year in advance of planning almost, right? Can you yeah. talk a bit about um, the sort of process of organizing all of that as a leadership team and with board members and all that? Well, we're really fortunate. We have, I think, a, both on staff and at the board level and with other organizational partners we work with. We have a lot of uh, big thinkers who are involved, and so we are not afraid to set our sights high, and you know, if, it, if we get a no, we get a no, and on to the next person type of thing. So it's really a fun thing to be involved in, uh, to brainstorm not only like big name keynote speakers, but just the entire program in general and our audience that attends these events is is uh, a group of people, consists of a group of people that are really well-read, uh, they love the arts, they love the humanities, and so I feel like it's, it's, um, it's not ever hard to try to dream up programs that will be interesting to people. The harder thing sometimes is to scale back and make sure you're not doing, you know, you're not overextending and booking too much and doing too much because... Yeah. Cather lends herself well to a lot of different types of programs. And I'm sure there's had to be a lot of reeling back in the past couple of years with the double work of online presentations and conferences. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's always hard to strike a balance between what we as a staff can, can pull off and the community of Red Cloud, too, plays such a large supporting role for the years that we're entirely in person. We have to make sure we're not um, doing more than the community can handle, just from a like, um, 
from the standpoint of what we can receive in terms of guests and deliver in terms of supporting services. So, yeah, it's been such a privilege, honestly, in 2018, getting to attend an in-person conference as a scholarship recipient and now witnessing the um, sort of hybridized in-person slash online conference this year as an intern. And I think both are just extremely valuable. And I imagine that all the audiences and attendees and panelists and speakers, you know, think that as well. And I think there's a really personal aspect that you were able to maintain. I mean, from an outsider slash sort of kind of insider, someone who's here for only a couple of months, um, though everything's online, because something I do a lot of times at the desk, I just kind of like help with small jobs in addition to the tour guide and other educational aspects, but I stuff some envelopes and I think it's so nice that like all the envelopes you send out to like board members and members in general, you put like you sign your name and put little personalized notes. I just I can't imagine the time it takes to do everything you do in addition to those notes. Oh yes, well <laughs> we we try to go the extra mile for sure. Um, I don't know that it's practical that <laughs> I'll be able to do that forever, but we do. Yeah, I think there's really a lot to be said. To opening something up that comes from here and finding that somebody took the time to to handwrite a little greeting yeah that says a lot I, I think, think it's so special especially especially since Katha herself really appreciated correspondence and like the written word and everything so I think it relates to that notion as well yeah absolutely and I like to think that people will be able to read my handwriting a little better than they yeah they would have you know if they yeah. were reading hers so. yes exactly yeah, we have her one signature on the t-shirt, and I think that's about all I'd be able to decipher. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then um, can you describe what a typical work day looks for you? I know typical might be a loaded word, as a lot of people I've interviewed have pointed out, since every day can be different. But. Yeah, at one point in my career, I feel like I did have a typical work day <laughs> and, a, and a pretty solid routine. I don't know that that's entirely the case at the level I would like it to be uh, right now. But on an average day, I would say we have team meetings generally three times a week. So uh, that happens on a pretty consistent basis. We have, I, I feel like I do a lot of time, I mean, spend a lot of time in meetings between board committees and team meetings here with staff. Um, lots of email correspondence to keep up on. Uh, occasional donor meetings uh, and engaging with some of the visitors that come through the doors. Uh, what else? A fair amount of just like strategic level things related to uh, donor stewardship and development and grant writing. Um, but mostly it feels like meetings, meetings, <laughs> meetings, meetings, which usually lead to progress, but yeah, just a lot of talking to people and uh, making plans and executing plans. And yeah, um, beginning working here, I mean, I came to all the staff meetings uh, the three times a week when I worked on Monday. Um, it would equate to three, but I remember being really surprised but pleasantly surprised that there were three meetings a week because the previous places I'd worked at, even like academic places like the UNL Writing Center, we usually have a staff meeting uh, once a month and then as a fellow I have an additional meeting and we kind of just keep in touch on slack but it's not like you know direct contact and I think it's really helpful though because there's the language of like what are you working on this week what are you excited to work on and like 
what kind of help or support do you need from the staff? And um, I talked with Rachel specifically a little bit about the leadership team and the sort of um, ideology, that's the word, ideology that went behind the creation of that and that sort of leadership approach. Can you talk a bit about um, facilitating meetings as a group rather than as like one person? Well, I really am a firm believer in distributed leadership. And so, yeah, there definitely came a point where I felt like there needed to be some additional staff involved in decision making and sort of strategic direction and guiding. Obviously, there came a point with our team that it wasn't realistic for me to be directly supervising everyone on the team as well. And so it was really that reality that um, in part shaped the, the uh, decision to move toward a distributed leadership model and a leadership team, uh, which has been great in a lot of ways. I, it, uh, and, a, and a, on a very practical level, it takes some pressure off of me to not have to lead those meetings every yeah. You know, every other day, and I like that we have really made a concerted effort to build a, like a really positive and healthy workplace culture that's rooted in a growth mindset. Yeah, and try to think about the work we do and approach the work we do, thinking through a, a lens with a framework of abundance uh, as opposed to scarcity. So. We're really just trying to lay the groundwork to have a, a good culture in place so in the future when new team members are added, we can, the culture is strong enough that they sort of get absorbed into it. Yeah, and even as like a temporary team member, I totally got that feeling. Yeah. And um, the growth mindset you're talking about comes a lot through like the videos and the subsequent discussions. And I thought that was a... I thought that was really cool to engage in as well. And I've been listening to lots of podcasts this year, especially this summer with like no Wi-Fi at the minor house. I just have downloaded <laughs> like, that. no, no, I liked it. Honestly, it was like a, a nice opportunity for growth mindset because I listened to tons of podcasts that I downloaded and I just see um, this sort of applicable idea of, you know, appropriate boundaries and like you're talking about with um, abundance versus scarcity mindsets and all these other things coming together that are really relevant in all aspects of someone's life. And the idea that those, you know, ideals don't belong in the workplace is just silly to me now because obviously they do. Yeah. 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 And the, I think the idea of, um, like we've talked a lot about, um, getting out of like the judgment mindset, you know, yeah. and, really asking yourself, what can I do to make this situation better? What can I, can I as an individual do rather than blaming or shaming or judging? Mm -hmm. So it's been, um, it's been a fun road to go down these last few years. And I think it's really helped ensure that everyone's sort of rowing the boat in the same direction. And so that model has um, been utilized by you guys for several years, you said, and did the um, did the videos come along with that initially, or is that something that you added along the way to support the sort of workplace culture? Uh, we added those along the way. We started just, um, gosh, I think it's been maybe three, four years ago now, we came together as a team and 
develop some shared workplace values and, and establish some working norms for the team. And then we did a lot of work around just like getting to know one another for several, what felt like several months before we started introducing concepts through mm -hmm. videos and like continuing, I guess you could call it continuing, or I don't want to call it continuing education, maybe just professional development would be more appropriate. Yeah. yeah. And I know a lot of the videos that we're talking about are kind of um, TED Talk-esque, also sort of breaking down things like communication, for example. And I also like how the discussions do not urge the person to take them for, you know, Bible or whatever necessarily, but you can sort of have a space to critique it and give your honest reactions. Like I know with the communication one, Elise said right after, I feel confused. I was waiting for an aha moment that never came. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then that one man, I can't remember his name, but I can't remember what he was talking about either. That's so vague. But I think Tracy had said, wow, he's a lot in the morning. <laughs> Since our meetings are kind of first thing, like 9 a.m. But yeah, I love that aspect. And um, at the Writing Center, we sometimes engage with material like that, but not near as often. So it's like you're talking about being on the same page. I think that consistent communication three times a week really enables that. Yeah. And then um, how would you explain, this is kind of getting into a different conversation, um, the Na National Willa Cather Center's ability to contribute to the community of Red Cloud, as well as the Global Cather Scholarship simultaneously? Oh, that's a big question. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> so take it whichever way you want to. Well, starting at the local level, you said talk about our ability to contribute to the community. Yeah. I remember? Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we, we, we obviously contribute to the community in a number of ways, and our ability to do that exists because this place was so central to Cather and her writing. Mm -hmm. um, so as an organization, our programs serve, our programs at the local level and the regional level at least, serve a number of people here in Red Cloud and from surrounding communities and counties. And thinking of things like opera house programs and gallery exhibits and gallery receptions and um, Obviously, the work the Cather Foundation has done the last several years in terms of building projects has helped the community immensely. The Moonblock, the Moonblock uh, building that was repurposed as the National Cather Center as part of the restoration occupies uh, five bays of an entire block in downtown Red Club. So just the aesthetics of the community and the, the look of the downtown has been significantly improved from that project and also because of the Opera House restoration that happened several years earlier. Yeah. And we just got a thrift shop um, last week that opened and I made two visits and I love it and it's so affordable. I heard you were at the thrift <laughs> shop. I uh, liked it a lot. You can't even shop anonymously in <laughs> without somebody, somebody hearing about it. Yeah. Did the, you know Maggie was shopping? <laughs> it's all very, it was all very positive. Yeah. Uh, and then the YWCA dance um, yeah. from Hastings. It's so funny. Cindy, my old dance instructor when I was a little kid, um, 
is opening one here, and she also has one in another location, right? Or is this her first satellite? This is the first satellite location. Uh -huh. So yeah, what that means is with the thrift shop and the YWCA School of Dance, all of the, and on the bricks, yeah, uh, all of the, the retail bays in the moon block are uh, going to be occupied. That's a huge accomplishment. That's amazing. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Thank you. We're excited yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's such a small world with the, the dance. I don't know. That was so nice seeing her the other week. Yeah. I can't believe she remembered me. I think I just automatically introduced myself. I'm Maggie Freakman. Remember me? And she's like, yeah, yeah. Because I think I just assumed people would forget me. <laughs> Should never assume that. Yeah, that's that's true. Imposter syndrome. <laughs> um, and then, so you answered the first part of the question about contributing to the community Red Cloud. I was also interested in, like, how you're able to do that at the same time as contributing to this kind of like global scholarship of Cather. So it's like these, this huge umbrella and then like the community of Red Cloud is like another sort of layer underneath that. Mm -hmm. Well, we have um, always had a, a very strong contingent of uh, scholars and academics on our board that keep things in, in addition to the good work that's done at the University of Nebraska with the Cather Project and the Cather Archive. There's just an incredible team of people in uh, Cather Scholarships that, or Cather Scholarships in Cather, um, in sort of the Cather academic community that keep things really solid and moving in a, in a good direction. Our Cather Conference is a part of that. Every other year, there's an academic symposium attached to the conference. And then, of course, the international seminar that travels uh, primarily outside of Nebraska, though it does come to Nebraska every few years, is a big part of keeping the Cather scholarly community engaged and, and doing research and writing papers and writing books. And that's all uh, really wonderful to see. And then just uh, aside from the Red Cloud community and the scholarly community, we have a number of tourists that mm -hmm. come to Red Cloud on a regular basis to visit the Cather historic sites and really take in the places that Cather wrote about, um, which is, it's amazing to see people do things like stepping out onto the prairie for the first time. I always yeah. remember Cather conference several years ago, one of our presenters was, um, I think, a graduate student from a university in China, and I had somehow ended up being the person that took him to the prairie. He wanted to see the prairie, which makes perfect sense if you come <laughs> all the way from China, that you would want to do that, and like it was just it seemed to me watching him walk out and photograph the prairie and touch and feel the grass and the dirt it seemed like a very transformative experience for wow. him and it's just amazing to see people come here and have those sorts of like it's almost an aha moment like okay this is what she was writing about and yeah because I mean I grew up only an hour from here and you growing up from here I just I think until coming here for the summer it's been really difficult for me to appreciate the landscapes that I grew up in because you know, you never really have that aha moment if it's just gradually surrounding you and you're, you know, walking through it every day, you know. And I do think there is a lot to be said about gaining perspective from the multiple tourists and um, people more unfamiliar with the spaces walking into them and you get to witness it and talk to them about it. It's really cool. 
Yeah, I think for me personally, I have, like, I love this place more because I've seen it through the eyes of so yeah. many visitors. Yeah. Um, I've had that same transformative experience this summer. Yeah. I mean, at least the start of it. I definitely want to come back and keep continuing on that trajectory of appreciating where I'm from. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's hard to do until you go away and get some perspective and then bonus if you can see your place through the eyes of other people and know just how special it is to them. Yeah, and I think that's something Catherine seemed to participate in as well because she went so many different places. But I know there's a quote on the like walk in her life, um, what do you call that, initiative, where she talks about Red Cloud maybe being one of her favorite places to come back to even though she's been to all these other like fabulous places. Yeah. It's a pretty profound statement. Yeah, and I think that um, the spring conference really is like chaotic in a positive way from what I've like experienced. I mean, I was not doing like a fourth, uh, an eighth of the work that you were doing, but seeing the collision of four members slash scholars and tourists still coming like the same day, as well as locals participating in things like the depot and Pavelka Farm reopening. And it's like, they're all in the same space. And I think it really just visually represents like the mission, you know, all three uh, pillars of it, like education, preservation, and the arts coming together and just all the different audiences, not all of them, but you know, the large chunks of them participating at the same time. Yeah. yeah, that was really cool to see. And I imagine it's even more chaotic like in the in-person years. I mean, I just saw a little tiny bit of it in 2018. Yeah, well, that means you have to come back <laughs> I would when love we to. have a full, a full house again. Yeah, that would be amazing because I think it was just like all new to me in 2018 and I was nervous and I was a little baby. <laughs> um, and then can you talk about what behind the scenes work makes the educational services of an organization available and affordable to the public? Because I mean, I'm going to Chicago next week to get my student visa, it's this whole thing. And I wanted to go to a couple of museums and I was just seeing like the admission prices for lots of museums like the Art Institute and the American Lit like Literary American Writers Museum and um, the Field Museum all have really high admission prices, but we have, you know, free admission and lots of resources like the art gallery, the exhibit, the video, the opera house and other things. And I guess I'm kind of wondering what makes that, you know, a possibility for visitors. Well, like a lot of nonprofits, the majority of our income on an annual basis is generated from individual donations or um, and grant resources. So there's a lot of behind the scenes work with uh, donor stewardship, and we have we're lucky to have hundreds of members from all over the country, uh, who some of whom have been supporting us for you know 20, 30 plus years, which is incredible to see. So yeah, just a lot of outreach and relationship building. Um, networking. Networking, <laughs> uh, good strong relationships with other funding organizations in Nebraska. We have incredible support from the Nebraska Arts Council, uh, Humanities Nebraska. We have a long standing relationship with History Nebraska, which um, they don't have a grant program per se, but obviously those sorts of collaborative partnerships over the years have helped get us on solid footing to be the organization we are today. Uh, we do, on, at a local level, in Red Cloud, we have a really close relationship with the Nebraska Community Foundation and are involved in uh, 
to networking and fundraising at the local level. A lot of fundraising at the local level happens for that organization too, which in a roundabout way ends up supporting the Cather Foundation by making sure Red Cloud's a viable place and a place that people want to live and visit. So yeah, I, I think we're really fortunate not to be able to charge an admission fee. I don't know if that will be the case forever, but I hope so. Yeah, visitors yeah. are often very pleasantly surprised at that. And um, I used to work at the Hastings Public Library for a couple summers as like a reading program intern, a summer reading program intern. And Elise and I were talking once about how much we love libraries and places like this where someone can come in and just exist and be and you know, learn something while they're at it. And I don't know, especially on a super hot day, like when those bicyclists were coming through, the fact that we were able to be an available space for them to just like come and get out of the 104 degree heat. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's something really special. And I hope places like this in the humanities persist. And also what you're talking about, um, collaboration and networking and how this marketing and outreach is almost like a people person job. Um, it reminds me of when I was in high school and I had no idea what I wanted to do as a senior. I got like this big book of majors, even though I literally looked at one page of it because I knew that I loved meeting people and that I wanted that to be incorporated into my career. And I was really interested in studying anthropology, even though I didn't really know what it was. I just know it was like about humans. And, <laughs> and then, <laughs> I was like, I love humans. And then under the description of anthropology, they had a section that's like, if you're interested in anthropology, you might also like, and marketing and like fashion merchandising was like under that. And I just, I just thought that was so interesting, but it makes a lot of sense to me now because it's all about understanding people and understanding um, how to communicate and kind of give people what they want in a sustainable way. Sounds like they should have listed development director as something <laughs> you might also like. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really overwhelming book and I don't know why I got it. <laughs> Cool. Um, thank you for that answer. That was really good. And then um, at one meeting, I asked this question to Rachel, too, because I just thought your guys' answers were very insightful, but it's okay if you don't remember your exact answer. But you guys had asked, I don't know why, I always say you guys, just like, you know, generally, yeah. <laughs> Y'all asked um, everyone during the meeting, I think it was a full staff, like maybe the full staff June meeting, mm -hmm. um, what visions they had for the National Catholic Center and Red Cloud in 10 years. So can you talk about, you know, your individual visions for the future of the organization and the town as a whole? Oh, I think I gave really nerdy answers in that <laughs> meeting. Uh, I know one of them was I would love to see some version of Red Cloud Streetcar restored oh, yeah. and operational for, um, even if it's only on a limited basis for tourists and community members, I think that would be so cool and fun if there was a way to make that happen. Uh, I, of course, want to see the town continue to thrive, and there are there's more work to be done with uh, revitalization downtown and, and introducing additional amenities, both for residents and visitors, that will keep people here longer and give them a really unique and fun experience while they're here. Um, I'm excited to reinterpret our historic sites now that some of the restoration work is wrapping up at a couple of them and uh, explore topics in a, explore more topics in a more robust way than we were able to do before. And uh, 
we'll be able to look at why the sites not only are important to Cather and the Cather, like the broader Cather community, so to speak, and scholars and fans, but also what do these places mean and why are they significant to the community of Red Cloud? So I hope that uh, local residents will get really excited about the assets we have here and want to learn more about them and be part of the work that the foundation is doing, whether that be in some sort of leadership capacity or um, as volunteers or just more patrons uh, coming to our events. We're still working to broaden and diversify our audience for you know programs we have here on site as well as things that happen virtually. So um, I don't know. I don't remember what else I said <laughs> that day. I feel like I'm forgetting the big things, but. Well, I don't know. I think that's awesome. I can't remember exactly what y'all said too, but I just remember like, I don't know, my eyes being big during the conversation, like, wow, everyone's giving such smart answers. I can't remember what I said. I think, I don't know, I think I said something about homo sapiens, but I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. I'm missing the obvious thing, I'm sure, that I would have referenced, but. That's okay, but I think a streetcar would be really cool, like, if during streetcar days there could be complimentary rides and see just the journey people took through town when they were moving here, when they were traveling through. Yeah, obviously more programs, too, uh, and larger, like, more recognizable names at the Opera House would be great. Yeah, yeah I imagine probably in 10 years we'll have, like, a much larger staff, too. I know lots of people here wear lots of different hats, and I'm sure that will never change just because everyone here is so well-rounded and willing to help out where other people need it. But it's amazing to me how much is done here, even with, what's the number of permanent staff members, like, seven or nine or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, it's just wild <laughs> and very impressive. Like, I kind of assumed in 2018 that were, there were way more people behind the scenes, but I imagine even a couple were added since then. Yeah, we... Uh, I guess they're, like, the board of governors and, like, members behind the scenes, but literally in the space. Yeah, we are fortunate to have a really, really hardworking and dedicated staff, and you're right, they're all, for the most part, very well-rounded. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I think you have to be in a nonprofit. They're you know, almost infamous for being sort of like, there's never enough money, there's never enough staff. I feel like that's a real thing for a lot of nonprofits. And, and I don't like to say that out loud very often because it doesn't sound like a very growth and framework <laughs> of abundance mindset thing to say, but it is a reality. You're speaking your truth, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll get there. We added two positions here. In the last couple of years, I think it's been. Maybe it was just in the last year. Elise's position, right? And we added a sites manager oh, yeah, and an education Jim. coordinator, and yeah. then later, um, yeah. So Elise's lots of like shifting position. of roles and allowing like new people to filter in and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I know, um, yeah, the internship with Cheyenne and Jared, like the hometown, and I think what's her cultural heritage. Hometown intern. Yeah, Heritage Tourism Internship, too. Yeah. yeah. So I know that's, like, not directly under the National Catherine Center, but it definitely does articulate. Cool. And then I have one last question, and I think I've said this in every episode, just making fun of myself, but it's a silly hypothetical question. And do you have anything else to add before we get into that? I can't think of anything. <laughs> cool. Um, so it's really weird. If you could write Willa Cather a letter, what would your complimentary clothes be? I don't know why, but I'm like obsessed with complimentary closes. I just love 
emailing with new people and seeing how they sign it because everyone just has their own little sign off. Like when someone writes like warmly, like it just makes me want to melt. I don't know. It's just so cute. I use I use oh I use warmly sometimes. I use gratefully a lot, but I probably wouldn't use that with Kat or would I? Um, Gosh, even reading hers, like I purchased the complete, or the selected letters of Willa Catherine. I was reading some of hers, and they're just so versatile and just so yeah. appropriate for the letter uh-huh. and the context. So it's kind I've, of always, a I've always kind of been a fan. It's so dorky, especially <laughs> in 2021, but I, I do really like very cordially yours. Oh, uh, I love that. That's the first thing that came to my mind, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the most appropriate. That's awesome. <laughs> Very cordially yours. I need to, yeah, I want to have an excuse to use that sometime in life. And I think with Willa Cather, she somehow was coming from beyond the grave and writing letters with you. That would be like the best to sign off as a pen pal. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for talking with me, Ashley. I really appreciate taking time out of your busy meeting field schedule to talk with me. You bet. It was fun.